0: Gentleness is not just an action, it's a posture. Gentleness isn't just something that I do. Gentleness is something that I am. It's not just something where I show up gentle sometimes because I'm dealing with some children and I should have a more gentle tone with them. Gentleness isn't just something that I do because my my mood is a certain way today enabling me to be more gentle. Gentleness is something that comes out of a core place in me, and I I say no to my flesh, and I say no to the way of this world, and I say no to harshness and roughness and violence, and I say yes to the way of Jesus, and I respond in times of difficulty and conflict the way he would. Hey, we're in week six of a teaching series uh, we've been in called Jesus. And uh, it's a series we've been in since the beginning of the year. It's a series we're going to be in all the way up through Easter Sunday. And uh, what we've really been doing in this series is just learning how Jesus lived his life. I'm just convinced that when we look at how Jesus lived his life, there are some things about his life that we would be wise to import into our life. That, uh, that we can get some, some things from his life that would, you know, have a profound effect on ours as well. And so I've mentioned this week after week, but you know, 2,000 years ago, there's this entirely new way that Jesus introduces in, into, into the world, this way of life. It's called the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is upside down in nature. It's upside down in values and ethics to, you know, the way of this world. And when, so when we look at, at the way of Jesus, it's really this invitation into what John describes as the abundant life. I think that there's a lot of Christians uh, who are saved and they're headed to heaven, but they're not experiencing the abundant life. I can't tell you how many times over the years, and, and it's been true in my life at times, where following Jesus, for a lot of people, what I have, no, have noticed, it's just like really hard. There's like a hard countenance on their face you know, of following Jesus. And I, I really believe that, that Jesus invites us into another experience than that. It's the abundant life, and the way to that is through the way of Jesus, this life, you know, that is life. And so we've been talking about over the last several weeks is that really to live into the way of life, uh, the way of Jesus, is to really live into three major concepts. And number one is to be with Jesus, which we've talked about in depth. Number two is then to become like Jesus. And then number three is to then do what Jesus did. So we're in week six today. So we are focusing in, in detail on what it means to really become like Jesus. Now, when we, when we use that language, for, for some of us in here, I, I'm sure that sounds a little daunting when we talk about becoming like Jesus. Some of us are like, man, I didn't even realize that was the expectation. Look, like, let me just encourage you a little this morning. Not, not, only, not only is this possible, I really believe there's an invitation to do this, and that it's, uh, it, it's revolutionary to our lives. It gives us an entirely, entirely different experience in the here and now as we live into, you know, the life of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the reactions of Jesus. And so the truth, though, is, is while all of that sounds great, uh, how many all know that there are just a lot of challenges that we face when it comes to becoming more and more like Jesus, Right? So I want to just speak to one of those this morning, if you're taking notes. I think that one of the primary challenges to becoming like Jesus is that we live in a world that is built on values, rhythms, and postures that we do not find in Jesus. Right? I mean, I mean, it's like, it's like we're trying to be like Jesus, but everywhere we go, it seems like nobody else is right? Or, you know, in, in fact, it, it feels like like most people are trying to be the exact opposite of Jesus. And so, you know, we're, we're just living in this world that, that, that runs on these values, these rhythms and postures that, that in many ways are the exact opposite of the things we see in Jesus. And it creates this tension and this challenge for us to how to live into the way of Jesus. Um, you know, the last two years have been a lot. Would you Would you agree? Last two years have been what I would really describe as a micro picture of the greater issues that we really have and that we see in our country, that we see really all across humanity. Issues that have existed for quite some time. And what we've seen over the last couple of years is like an enormous lack of value, patience, and love for people we don't know. All right, we have seen We've seen this for people we do know too, right? I mean, we've seen like families divided. We've seen uh, relationships en- ended. Grace has been difficult to find. You know, it seems like over the last couple of years, we look around and there's just, there's just low value for grace. The last two years have shown us even more that our world is one of roughness and violence, you know, um, one of harshness and shows of strength. So, you know, it's, it's no wonder that, that we have become so well-versed in disrespect and dishonor and contempt. We've become so well-versed in, uh, you know, backlash and brutality and all of these things, right? It's just, it's just the world that we're in. I mean, people are so quick to, to show disrespect to people who have different political views than them. People are so quick to show disrespect to people who have different religious views. We're quick to cancel people and to throw them away. And I just I say all that and bring that up because I think we'd be remiss to assume that this has had no effect on us. I think that we all just know what it's like to live into the way of the world. Like, like we're in it all the time. And to assume that this has had no effect on us over time, I think, I think we would be uh, you know, deceiving ourselves. And so, and so the biting and the devouring, like the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, or the overpowering of people, uh, did you know that Like, it's not new to us? It's not something that, that's like brand new that the, 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 you know, now we're dealing with in, in our time in history, but but wasn't true back then. In fact, we see this in the Gospels. Not only do we see it in the Gospels, we see this in two men who were some of the closest people ever to Jesus. Their names are James and John. You might, you might know those names. Uh, they weren't just part of the twelve, they they're part of the three, the inner three with Jesus. And Luke chapter 9 gives us an interesting uh, look at, at, at uh, how these guys uh, are, how they reacted. And uh, Luke 9:51 says this, it says, As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is an awesome story, by the way. And, uh, and so Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, which is where he, he is set out to go because he's coming towards the end of his life, and he knows uh, that, that he's got to make that journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and so he goes through a Samaritan village, and as, you know, we, we've taught more than once, you may know this, but, you know, Jews and Samaritans did not associate with each other, they did not like each other, there was massive racism and prejudice uh, you know, towards each other. And so for Jesus to go through a Samaritan village and them knowing he's headed on to Jerusalem, uh, which is, which is uh, you know, the Jewish capital, like they, they don't want anything to do with him. And so James and John are two men who have been with Jesus. They're two of his disciples and they've been with him for three years. They've seen Jesus do all kinds of incredible things. right? You think about the gospels and all the crazy things that like, we read about that Jesus did. Like They have been eyewitnesses to these these stories, these these, these incredible things. They've also seen Jesus' character. And they've seen how he responds in certain situations. And what's amazing to me about this story is, is that after all of this training, they think to themselves, hey, you know, this sounds like a good idea. Maybe we should just destroy these people with fire from heaven. You know? Is that interesting to you? After hanging around Jesus for all that time, they're like, man, these people... Like, like, I think we should just, like, end them. I think we should just, like, destroy their life, right? And, and it's, it's, just, it's just kind of amazing to me. Of course, Jesus rebukes them, and this is, not, this is not what Jesus wants. This is not who Jesus is. And, you know, one of the things it, it reminds me of a little bit as I read this story is something that, has happened in our culture, which in my opinion is one of the, the darkest and grossest aspects of American life, and in certainly religious life, and it's what I would call Facebook faith. You, probably, I mean, you can probably just assume what we're talking about here, but Facebook faith is where we have this deep sense that we can articulate core convictions of our life via a social media platform. And completely hate, demonize, and contend with people we do not know, do not understand, and have no real authority to speak into their lives in in any situation. And the thing about this, the thing about Facebook faith is that it's apolitical, meaning we all do this, left or right. And what has happened is we've taken the beauty of the gospel, we've taken the truth and hope of Jesus, and we've trivialized it to become condemning on a social media platform. We've taken this thing that is supposed to be robust and alive, this reality in our lives of the goodness of God that demonstrates the love of God for the world, and we've cheapened it to how I can be right or wrong with people I don't even know. I think of that, and I think, and we've all seen it, right? I mean, maybe we've done it, or maybe we've at least seen it, and and, and it just reminds me a little bit of the same approach that, like, James and John would be taking, you know? And, uh, like, I love conviction, I think you should have more conviction, not less conviction, but I think that we need to become a community of people who actually learn how to steward the lives that God has given us. And one of the ways that we steward the life that God has given us is through gentleness. Gentleness. We're going to talk about that here this morning. I want to just give some grace to like James and John for a moment, all right? Let's just, let's not, let's not beat on them too bad. James and John are responding in this story in a way that sounds pretty familiar to today. And uh, they're responding in, in what would have been pretty common back then as well. And what I mean by that is, like, you got a problem with someone, then you end that problem with someone, preferably with force, verbal or physical, right? That's kind of how we deal with conflict. And so, so I can't, you know, I can't just, like, harp on them too hard because they're just really doing kind of what is, like, human nature, our human instinct, that if we've got issues with people, we're going to end those issues with people, right? And we're going to end them in a way that, that uh, kind of shows them who's stronger, But to be clear, this is not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of Jesus. You see, if you're taking notes, look at this with me. To follow the way of Jesus is to live counter to the values and reactions of culture. Meaning that as followers of Jesus, we want to respond to the issues of life differently than how the world responds. So if I want to become like Jesus, then I'm going to need to pay attention to how Jesus shows up in certain situations. I need to pay attention to how Jesus responds, what His character is like, and I need to desire for that to be in my life as well. Jesus is just different, right? He's just different. But they are like Jesus are like, man, that's in, that's incredible. Like that is how how do you respond like that in that situation? He's not a normal king. He doesn't act like you would expect a king to act, and what what I mean by that is. You know, Matthew chapter 21 really, really describes the kind of king that Jesus is. And I want to just kind of share these these verses with you here, uh, five verses, and just kind of frames up for us the kind of king that Jesus is. It says in, in in verse one, it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here in verse 5, Matthew is quoting the prophet Zechariah, who was prophesying about the future Messiah who would come. The, the, the future Messiah, that, that Jesus has made the audacious claim that he is that man. And Matthew is, is, is quoting this, this uh, Old Testament prophet who would have prophesied hundreds of years prior that when the Messiah shows up, he will be a gentle king riding in on a donkey. Now, I think it's pretty amazing to look at this story and because, because do you notice that Jesus does not enter into Jerusalem riding on a war horse with his troops behind him? You see, the image of the coming Messiah that most people had developed over the years was that, was that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to liberate them from their oppressor, who was Rome at the time. And so there, there's in their mind this idea, this hope that one day, someday, the Messiah, Messiah would come and it would, he would change their, their fortune. He would, he would restore them to their rightful place on, on the top of the pecking order in the world he would bring rome to their knees but they had forgotten that the old testament prophet had prophesied that this messiah would be gentle that he wouldn't come on a a war horse and he wouldn't come with, with with soldiers and troops but that he would come in on a donkey gentle as people as people lay their cloaks and their palm branches down before him and worship him jesus comes to us as a gentle king, and he's who we want to follow, he's who we want to become like. Now, let's just, let's just stop for a second, because we're talking about gentleness, and how about a little honesty in the room? You think we, I think we need some honesty around this topic right now, because how many of you, like, you hear this word gentleness, and you immediately are thinking, man, I need to head out and, like, fill up my coffee right now, you know, uh, how many of us, we hear this word, and we're out, and we're like, well, I'm not that, so I don't know, you know, like, gentleness is something that I think so many of us are like, yeah, it's just something that, that, that we struggle with, something that's just not prevalent. The world today, as in the time of Jesus, just has no space for gentleness because it makes no sense to a world that is vying for power. It just makes no sense. It's not, it's not a, gentleness is not a high value. I don't know if you've noticed that. Like, we don't, we don't value this at a high level in, in our society. Because it makes no sense to a world that's vying for power. We, the, the value is to like power up. Power, the, the value is to be powerful. The value, the value is to win. And what I've learned in my life is that most of the time when I'm not gentle, it's because I'm trying to win. You know? I'm trying to prove a point. I'm attempting to be powerful. I'm just playing into the way of the world. Do you notice... When it comes to Jesus, how, the, how the, the condition of the world doesn't seem to affect Jesus. He's living at a time where Rome is in charge. If you know anything about Rome, right, they are probably the most fearsome, violent empire in all of human history. I mean, like, there was no value in their, in, in their paradigm for something like gentleness. It was all about power and force and so the condition of the world is, at Jesus' time is not one that would embrace something like gentleness, but the condition of the world doesn't affect him. He still embodies gentleness even in the face of a world that does not have value for it. Let me just give you some examples. Like think of the way that Jesus interacts with those who are seeking a miracle. Think of the way that Jesus interacts with those who are sick, those who are grieving, those who are disabled. You see the gentleness of Jesus when Lazarus has died. Instead of immediately just moving in power, Jesus restrains his strength. Like Lazarus has died, right? Jesus is fully powerful to fix that situation just by his audible voice. And yet in this moment, he restrains his strength, and he enters into the emotion that is being felt by those who loved Lazarus. I mean, in this story, like Jesus himself cries, And he feels compassion for a family that is grieving. He restrains his strength. He's gentle with them in their time of grief. And then at the proper time, he steps into his strength. He releases his strength. He says the words, and Lazarus, as you know, he comes back to life. Jesus is incredible. He shows gentleness to the woman caught into the act act of adultery. Gentleness with this person caught in the very act of her sin. You think of the story of Jesus with the woman at the well. He's showing gentleness uh, as he's interacting with someone who's really on the fringes of society. You know, this woman had a story that would probably make most of us blush, at least raise an eyebrow. Like, I can't, that's your story? Wow. In fact, she's at the well, you know, at the hottest time of the day when she knew no one else would be there because no one else wanted to associate with her. And Jesus comes to her and he shows such gentleness with her. We read the story of the woman with the issue of blood. If you know that story in the Gospels, and Jesus shows shows such gentleness as he is touched by someone who is untouchable. I mean, this woman would have been viewed, according to the Old Testament law, as incredibly unclean, and just being touched by her would have then caused Jesus to be unclean. And Jesus, if you notice, he doesn't react to her the way that most people would react. The way that I think even some of us would react if we were in a similar situation at a similar time. That's just how you're trained and taught to react. And Jesus doesn't respond that way. He responds with gentleness. Healing flows out of him and she is restored. Jesus doesn't just show gentleness though to like individual people. We see that Jesus shows gentleness to large crowds as well. Not only does he feed people who are hungry, but in Matthew 14, 14, it says that when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them This is his his gentleness being manifested through compassion and healed their sick. Jesus is gentle. The Gospels are full of so many stories of Jesus being gentle with those who are in need, those who need a a healing, those who need a miracle. I love what Rollheiser says, if you're taking notes. He says, when the Gospel breaks through, the first mark is compassion, not anger. When the Gospel breaks through, the first mark is compassion, not anger. Anger, and we see this in Jesus because He's the embodiment of the gospel, the good news. And as He, as He, as He, He, He absolutely shows up in other emotions throughout the gospels. Right? We see this. It's not that He's never angry. There's a righteous anger that Jesus evokes on more than one occasion. But what we see here is that, it, 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 like in this thought, is that when the gospel first breaks through, the first mark is compassion. I think this could be copy and pasted into our life too, as as an expectation for how the gospel should manifest in your life and in mine. That, like, the first mark of the good news of Jesus radically changing our life, pulling us, like Josh talked about, out of the, 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 the slimy pit and bringing us, you know, putting our feet on solid footing, the first mark of that should be compassion, not, not anger. Not, hey, what's wrong with you? Or, you know, you need to change everything about your life, but the first mark is compassion towards other people. And so I, I would just say that as followers of Jesus, we want to follow his example, right? We want to follow the example of Jesus, do we not? So look at what Jesus says here in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight 28 through 30. Jesus' words, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, in these verses, like Jesus is describing himself. And he says very clearly that I am gentle and humble in heart. It's really important to notice this because this, is, this isn't how someone else is describing Jesus. This is how Jesus is describing himself. And so what we, can, what we know, right, j- just in this alone is that we know that Jesus is not harsh. Jesus is not reactionary. He's not easily angered. He's not trigger happy. Jesus is meek. He's humble. He's gentle, Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he says this. He says, there is only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. It's right here in Matthew 11. There's only one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. In the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, we are not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. Austere just means severe or strict, okay? So we're not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We're not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly, gentle and humble in heart. You know what I noticed about these verses is that Jesus doesn't just say that he's gentle and humble. He says that he's gentle and humble in heart. There's something to that. There's something, like that means something. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm gentle and I'm humble. Because you you could take that and you could start to define that in lots of different ways based on your understanding of gentleness or your understanding of humility. But he says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. He's describing, in my opinion, what his central operating instincts and beliefs are. The things that are unchanging about him. That he is gentle and humble, that he is gentle and lowly. You ever wonder like, why, like, why Jesus would use these adjectives to describe himself? Like out of all the thousands of adjectives he could have chosen. I mean, there's thousands. Right? We, could, we, we just had like a, a little time of talking and just say, hey, let's, let's just describe Jesus. Let's, I mean, we would come up with a list You ever wonder why Jesus chose these two? Because there's a lot of other ones that I I think would be pretty awesome too. I I just think it's maybe because at his core, this is is like who he is. These, These are like unchangeable qualities of Jesus. This is like who he is at his core. Ortland goes on to say, he says, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Yeah, we could, we could say that again. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. The point in saying Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus. Jesus. He is gentle and humble at heart. Listen, the gentle humility of Jesus is what makes God, the God, accessible to us. The gentle humility of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. When we look for for a king born of royalty, you know, a Messiah king born of royalty, we instead find a baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger born to a peasant girl. You think of the story of Jesus and his baptism, and Jesus, don't forget, he is... He is all of God in the flesh, right? He is fully God and fully man. He is God in flesh. And he, he, we see the story of Jesus walking down to the Jordan River. John the Baptist is there and he's baptizing others. And, and, and you know, if I was writing the story, I, I would maybe just assume that, that Jesus, Jesus would go down there and, and he would just take over for John. Be like, I got this now. Here, let me, let me I'll start baptizing people or you think maybe he would be he'd go down there and he would baptize john but we see this gentle humility where where jesus comes to john the baptist and he says he says he says i want you to baptize me all throughout Jesus' ministry instead of looking to win over those who have power and influence in order to advance his kingdom purposes we instead find jesus spending the vast majority of his time with the weak and outcast of society children lepers prostitutes tax collectors At the Last Supper, we see Jesus gently and humbly washing the feet of his disciples and calling them his friends. Like, what kind of God is this? You know? Like, what kind of God is is this? It is one who is gentle and humble at heart. You see, quite honestly, it is the gentleness and humility of Jesus that seems to be his central operating system. And what I mean by that is like, you know, Jesus is even gentle when he is arrested, beaten, and ultimately killed. Jesus, Jesus is gentle when he is wrongly accused. I think that's when most of us punch out. I mean, that's probably where I punch out. Like, I'm all about following Jesus. Like, I'm good. Like, I want to try to emulate his character traits and things into my life. I want to try to respond in certain situations the way he would. But when I start to be wrongly accused, when I start to be beaten and flogged, when I start to be arrested, when, when, like, my life is on the line, how I many y'all know, like, I'm probably gonna start to react pretty violently. I'm gonna be like, hol, hol, hold on a minute, you know? Like, like I'm just not gonna just, and, and what we, well, this is, like, not what we see in Jesus, though. We see that he is gentle even in this type of situation. In fact, the prophet Isaiah prophesies that the coming Messiah would be like this. Isaiah 53, verse seven says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, He was led like a a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is 700 years before Jesus would show up in the first century, foretold that the coming Messiah would be like this. This would be in his nature. After his arrest, as he stands before the Sanhedrin, as he stands before Pilate, Instead of being defiant before the authorities and proclaiming that he was God's anointed one, we find Jesus strangely silent, showing no need to justify himself. No need to justify himself. What kind of God is this? If You're taking notes. When we look for a deliverer of God's people who will crush the opposition, we instead see this servant Messiah who allows himself to be crushed for us. This is the kind of king. This is the kind of king that we see. We see that Jesus is essentially led away to be slaughtered. Right? He is is, he's 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 reserved, his strength is restrained. Jesus, the Son of God, he demonstrates a restrained strength. Listen, as he stands before Pilate, as they're beating him, I want you to know that Jesus is not weak. Jesus still maintains the ability to uh, save himself if he would like. He still maintains the ability to, uh, to flip the script if he should so choose. But what's amazing about the story of Jesus and his, and his brutal beating and ultimate crucifixion is that. He, he chooses to trust the will of his father. Even though it means being beaten, enduring a fake and corrupt trial, even though it means being hung on a cross to die a terrible death, a sinner's death. Listen to me. If you're, if, if, I just want you to listen to this. Jesus, Jesus chooses affliction and pain over a demonstration of his power. This is what we see in Jesus. He has every opportunity to just flip the script. Every opportunity to show up those who are attacking him and those who are wrongfully accusing him. And yet Jesus, in this moment, he chooses affliction and pain over a demonstration of his power. Listen to me, the good news, the good news, you, you know why, why I, think, I think Jesus does this? It's because, because I, I think it's for people like me and people like me around the world on days like this where we're able to teach to people like you, about Jesus. It's because the good news of the kingdom does not come through a military conquering king, but through a gentle king who lays down his life for his people. It's the good news right here. I think this is why Jesus chooses this path to really, it embodies everything he is as the Messiah. It doesn't come through a military conquering king, but through a gentle king who lays down his life for his people. So I think we're all like, pretty convinced that Jesus, Jesus is gentle and Jesus is humble and maybe like the ideal is to try to do that when we can. But man, if, if you're like me, I think I immediately just start to ask the question, like how do, how do I even do this? Like how do I actually walk in gentleness? How, how do I, how do I, how do I do this? How, how do I take what I see in Jesus and start to figure out how to like import that or transport that into my life? Like what are the steps I need to take to try to get what's in him into me? Like, we all know this is who Jesus is. But how do I actually do this, you know? How do I begin to move from a life of harshness and brutality and violence to a life of gentleness? Let me just give you, I'm going to try to define gentleness just a little bit. and um, I'm going to wait a second, I almost brought you up. You just never know with me, right? So, let me give you a couple thoughts on gentleness 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 is really the sensitivity and willingness like i've been talking about this already but the the sensitivity and and willingness to forego power for the sake and benefit of another like you have the power but you're choosing to not use it for the sake and the benefit of someone else that's gentleness gentleness is a caring calm humility that allows one to see others as god sees them that's gentleness and I, and I would just say that I think that it, is only, it is only by encountering Jesus' gentleness once again that we can even hope to revive this dying virtue in our lives. We've got to encounter it again. What is this gentleness? Who is this God? What do we see in the Gospels? How does he treat people? How does he interact with them? And by encountering this gentleness all over again, I think we then have hope that this can be revived in us in our day. And so how do we do this? Let's give some further definition if you're taking notes. This is what I think gentleness is. Gentleness is a freedom from self-love and ego. Okay, we talk about this a lot here. We talk about radical individualism, which is, is, is really like the, um, like the value of the age. We talk about radical individual, individualism or self-centeredness. Gentleness is a freedom from all of that. Gentleness is a freedom from self-love and ego that is humble in spirit, teachable in heart. And I love this last one. It has, has an unmovable strength to stay loving in the midst of difficulty. This is really what gentleness is. And I think that we need to grow in this. I think that I need to grow in this. I need, man, the gentleness of Jesus to to just explode in my life. And so I want to just sort of break this definition down uh, and and give give some additional thought to it. So number one, uh, if you're taking notes, gentleness is impossible without humility. It's impossible without humility. Ephesians 4, 2, Paul writes and says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. The reason why gentleness is impossible without humility is because gentleness has to flow out of a place of sincerity. It has to flow out of a place of sincerity. And to actually love people the way that gentleness calls us to love people, we have to have a humility about ourselves so that we don't view ourselves as better than we should. Like, you know, Paul writes in Philippians two, which we're going to get into next week, Gentleness has to flow out of a place of sincerity. So if I think of myself more or better than I should, when, I, when, I, when I'm being gentle, it's not really coming from a place of, of sincerity. Gentleness is contrary to how we think and it's contrary to how our culture works. Let me just let me help you understand that. See, I think that, I think that we are just by, just by default, you know, people who live in the world we live in, with the values, you know, that surround us, I think that we are encouraged to be very self-confident people. You know? Like, I can do it. I can make it happen. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. Like, we, we, are, we are encouraged to show our strength. And gentleness is often equated with weakness. Our culture seems to value self-confidence and showings of strength over gentleness and because we value self-confidence oftentimes this is why we justify harshness or we justify why we don't have to be kind or we justify why we can use force in a certain situation we seem to think that the end justifies the means because we tend to value self-confidence over gentleness and so here you're trying to figure out how to, how, to, how to like import this, how to get this into you, like a great place to start is by understanding that like gentleness is impossible without humility, right? And as I, as I live this life, and, and, and man, it just happens, all of us at times, you know, radical individualism, very self-centered, you know, self-confidence, all of this stuff, just, it's, it's just things we have to continually fight against. And when those things are true and, and continue to, to, to rise and build and build more and more in our lives, it makes it very difficult to actually embody the kind of gentleness that Jesus embodied. We've got to be humble people. The second one, uh, I just want to, I want to say this, that gentleness is impossible if, if you aren't teachable. Gentleness is impossible. So it's impossible uh, without humility, but it's also impossible if you aren't teachable. Now, this almost speaks to humility a little bit because, because it's, it, it really kind of addresses pride t- to a degree. Most of the time when we're not teachable, it's because, you know, we, we, we don't think we need to be but I just want you to understand some things about this that I think are are unique, and that's why I, I have it up here. If you aren't teachable, you aren't gentle. You ever been around people who aren't teachable? They're not very gentle people. A huge mark of gentleness is that you don't think you have arrived, which then allows you to come around other people to learn and grow from them. There are a lot of people who think they are kind and gentle, but they're actually arrogant. They're not teachable at all. The greatest tool I think you could give yourself is to be teachable. Like the greatest gift you could give yourself is to be someone who is teachable. Listen, I will run with people all day long who are teachable, but I will run from people who have arrived. Like, I think most of us probably live our life that way, you know? Like, I, it, I just don't have a lot of space or room or margin for people who have arrived, but I got a lot of room for people who, who you know, want to come alongside me, and together we can be teachable people. We can learn. We can grow. Gentleness is always going to be difficult for people who are focused on themselves. Like, it's very difficult to be gentle with other people when, like, your primary focus is yourself. It's very difficult to learn from other people and their situations and their stories when you're highly focused on yourself. You see, being self-focused is what causes us to lose track of the people around us. We don't notice them. We don't notice their needs. And then we can't respond the right way. So like if 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 I don't really notice you, because I'm so laser-focused on myself and what I need or what my family needs, like I I don't really notice you, then then, then I can't respond correctly to what you actually really need. And this is why oftentimes I think we prescribe before we listen and assess properly. We give solutions before we really even listen and hear what's going on. We think we have the answer, but we haven't really listened to understand the problem. Let me just tell you this, like people who aren't teachable, they they don't know how to listen. They don't listen well. And one of the marks of being a teachable person is that you know how to like, like sit with other people in their story and listen to what's really going on. The way of gentleness is to be empathetic as we listen to another person's story or problem, in- entering into that other person's pain and recognizing what that person really needs. So gentleness is impossible without humility. It's impossible if we aren't teachable. And then number three, gentleness is is unmovable in the midst of difficulty you guys can come on up if you like gentleness is unmovable in the midst of difficulty proverbs 15:1 says a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger you can go ahead and throw that up there yeah a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger Gentleness is unmovable in the midst of difficulty. What I really mean by this is like, man, it's pretty easy to be gentle when I, when I am, when I have like the proper conditions for gentleness. So like when, when life is going well, when like finances are great, when there's nobody who has a problem with me, no one's saying anything bad about me, like it, it, it's, it's a lot easier to be gentle in those moments, Right? But the gentleness of Jesus goes beyond just manifesting itself or showing itself when when the conditions are good for gentleness. The gentleness of Jesus still shows up when the conditions are bad, in the midst of difficulty. It's unmovable. It remains. It's, It's core. It's central. It's who we are as men and women of God. And I want to just say this to you like, I've kind of already mentioned this, but like gentleness, let me just tell you, it is not weakness at all. Gentleness is a profound strength that even in the midst of difficulty, you can stay steady in your affection. I want you to think about the arguments you have found yourself in at times. Think with me about some of even the marriage problems that have gone on. Think of the issues, the tensions, the challenges, times where we're harsh brutal easy for us to take from other people where we use the the weapons of this world primarily the the weapon of our tongue to inflict violence on other people Think about it for a minute. Listen to me. Gentleness enables you to remain steady in your affection, even in the midst of difficulty. And so what I mean by that is like, just take an example of of whatever relationship that might come to mind. Where there's difficulty, there's challenge. So often when we get into those moments, like gentleness leaves, it goes, it's gone. Maybe we'll see it again at some point when we've all settled down but the gentleness of Jesus and the kind of gentleness he wants to help you grow in is the kind that is unmovable. It's unmovable in the midst of difficulty. It enables you to still be strong in your affection towards that person even when things aren't good and things are hard. Gentleness is a restrained strength. I've already talked about that today. And this is where we have the right amount of force or strength in any situation. I mean, all oh, you can have like the right amount of strength and you can have the wrong amount of strength. Anybody? No? Yeah? Y'all know you can, have the, you can have the wrong amount of strength. Gentleness is restraining that strength so that the proper amount is used in the given situation. And then I just want to make mention of this again because I think it fits so well in, in this point, but that gentleness is really a willingness to be afflicted and to suffer which does not make sense in a world that has a high value on winning. Like, I I love to win. I am a winner. Like, okay, like, I love it. I hate to lose. But like the way of Jesus, oftentimes, it causes us to to like, to lose. It It actually puts us in touch with this reality that he's already won and I don't need to keep trying to win. Like, it's okay to lower myself. It's okay to go the way of Jesus, to be gentle and lowly. To say, look, I will not use this strength. I will not use a power that is outside of God's will. But I will be willing to suffer in this broken world to honor God and to trust him. Listen, this is is what Jesus does at the end of his life when he he is facing, you know, an imminent death. He's facing like betrayal, being beaten and flogged. Jesus, though he is full of power and full of strength, he refuses to use his strength or his power in a way that would be outside of the Father's will. And so he goes to the cross, he willingly suffers in this world to honor God and to also trust him. He See, restraining his strength, being willing to, to, to be afflicted and to suffer is this, is this, I mean, it's like this beautiful thing of him just taking his life and saying, I'm taking it out of my hands and I'm putting it into his there's a lot of faith and trust involved with gentleness because we're not taking matters into our own hands. We're, we're saying, okay, God, like, like whatever, I, I, I'm gonna follow you. and I'm gonna follow your example. I'm gonna take this out of my hands. I'm gonna put it into yours. I love what Robert Plummer says here. He says, biblical meekness, which is usually like the, 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 the enmeshment of uh, gentleness and humility, right? He says, biblical meekness is usually not simply gentleness and humility, but those qualities displayed with integrity during times of trial. Gentleness is not just an action, it's a posture. Gentleness isn't just something that I do. Gentleness is something that I am. It's not just something where I show up gentle sometimes because I'm dealing with some children and I should have a more gentle tone with them. Gentleness isn't just something that I do because my, my mood is a certain way today, enabling me to be more gentle. Gentleness is something that comes out of a core place in me and I, and, I, and I say no to my flesh and I say no to the way of this world and I say no to harshness and roughness and violence and I say yes to the way of Jesus and I respond in times of difficulty and conflict the way he would. And you know what happens? You know what happens to this? With this, the way we respond in this world with gentleness, it becomes like a signpost. It becomes like a, a prophetic witness to a world that is looking for hope. Paul Paul writes this in Philippians four. He says, "Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. There is something, something." incredible that takes place. As you and I, like we say no to the way of the world and we say yes to the way of Jesus, we say yes to the way of gentleness, there's something incredible that takes place in us. Where this gentleness that we, that we show, which, which makes no sense in this world, as we're not responding the way more, you know, most people would given the same situation, there is a, there is a witness. It's, it's an evidence to people that like there's something else going on here, that the Lord is near, that the kingdom has come, that there's hope, there's another way to, to live life, there's another way to do this. We respond differently because this is the way Jesus would, but it's also because it's evidence to this world of, the, of, of, of his kingdom. The way we live, the way we react, our character, it is evidence to this world of like another, another place. That, like, this world isn't all there is. How many of y'all know that, like, we're driven by eternity? Like, one of our core values here at this church is that we are a church that is driven by eternity, meaning we fully believe that this is not the only life. You don't only live once. We, we live twice. And so we, we live with this core conviction that it's not just about gathering up as much things as we can in life and consuming and consuming and consuming, but we, we live as believers in Jesus with this great truth inside of us that everybody that we encounter on a given, given day has an eternal destination. And so the way we live our life is, is man, it's, it's affected by that truth. And so I live my life day in and day out, sometimes with words that come out of my mouth, but oftentimes with actions that point to heaven. Actions that point to another way. And this is how we want to step into the way of Jesus with this understanding that we're driven by eternity. We're not just driven by the things of this world. Hmm. That's pretty much all I got. Would you stand with me here this morning? I want you just to bow your heads with me here. I wanna just ask you a couple questions as I close in prayer. I wonder, you know, if, if Jesus were to pull back the curtain of your heart, just have an honest moment right here with me. I'm about to get you out of here. But if Jesus were to pull back the curtain of your heart, what do you suppose he'd see? Would he see a heart that is gentle and humble and lowly like his? And with your heads bowed in this place, I just, I just feel really compelled to just ask if you're here today and you would, just, you would just say, hey, you know, Pastor Jordan, there is without a doubt a stronghold of anger in my life and I need it to go. I need it to get out. It's, it's, it's affecting all kinds of relationships. It's affecting my relationship with Jesus. It's affecting my ability to become like him. If there's a stronghold of anger in your life, no one's watching, no one's looking, but you know it needs to go. You know that it doesn't honor Jesus. You know that it's something that that just you need to be set free from. Can I just just see see your hand right now? This is you. There's just a stronghold of anger in your life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's several here. I thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Just lift your hand if there's a stronghold of anger. Father, I ask right now that you would just break off every stronghold in Jesus' name, every every area here in our life and dealing with anger where the enemy has has taken some ground, Lord, we just wanna take it back right now. Lord, I pray for just deliverance from from all of this anger, from the lashing out, from the the, the times where we're just not in control, the times where we don't represent you well. Lord, I pray for just a complete transformation to take place, that we we would be people who just Live into the way of gentleness, not into the way of anger, not into the way of roughness and violence and brutality, God. That we don't, we would be people who don't just fight with the weapons of this world, but we fight with different weapons. We, 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 we step into your kingdom and we, we, we submit ourselves to who you are. And so, Lord, I pray in this place right now that freedom would come that Holy Spirit, you would move in great power in our life. This wouldn't just be another Sunday morning to check off, another time we went to church, but I pray right now that this would be a moment in our lives, God, where we met with you. We met with the God who can do the impossible. We met with the God who can uproot these strongholds from our life, and so every stronghold be broken under the sound of my voice right now. I pray every wall would come tumbling down, every chain would snap in Jesus' name. I pray you would fill us up from head to toe, God, with your spirit, with your likeness, God, form us, and shape us, and make us into men and women who are like you, who are like you, oh God, everything that is in us that's not of you, I pray that it would go, we command it, that it would go right now, that it would leave, it would flee, that it would be gone, I pray you command your angels in Jesus' name to surround us, God, to protect your people, God, in all of their ways. Lord, I pray for protection over our ears, over our hearts. Lord, the way we perceive things. And Lord, I ask for there just to be a, a mellowness that would come over us in terms of just how we react. Just a, 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 uh, a grace to be people who are slow to speak and slow to become angry, but people who are gentle and are quick to listen. We give you great praise today, oh God. We give you great praise today, oh God. I pray that this would be a, a, a moment that wouldn't just pass us by, but a moment that would last, and I just ask God that you would do in us the things that only you can do.